Hey, when we were uh, going down to South Carolina last week, um, did you ask a flight attendant to come give me a hard time? Oh, yeah. That might have been me. And, uh, and I, want, I want you to, this is an important question. Um, did you check my seat number before you sent her to me to give me a hard time? I mean, I think I had your correct seat number. Well, here's your answer, Scott. You did not have my correct seat number, but the guy sitting in the seat directly behind me got an earful from a flight attendant about a friend from the back who told him he was being too loud. And he was confused. The flight attendant was confused. His seat partner was confused. You were probably laughing, and I was dying and said (laughs) not a word. I am truly the worst. (laughs) I'm Ace Colwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. Yeah, so I, I think um, this episode is probably involuntarily sponsored by the Delta flight attendant whose career you ruined on a flight to Greenville, South Carolina. I think this is the Scott Wayne is sorry episode. I'm sorry, <laughs> flight attendant. You were delightful. What, what else are you sorry for, Scott? So Why are this, we recording on Tuesday morning instead of so Monday So we typically morning? record on Monday, and uh, we, all, we gathered in the studio yesterday at the usual time, uh, along with uh, Dr. Alan Dow and Lucy Taylor was beamed in live from the UK. And I may have um, I may have taken over the situation a little bit when you were trying to find a technical solution for something, and very confidently um, downloaded some slightly different software, or a different account, and um, there was a red button flashing, which I failed to press. And may I emphasize it was flashing brightly in front of my face the whole time. I didn't press it. And so we had an amazing recorded radio session. We did. We really did. It, it turns out it was an unrecorded radio session. Envoy unrecorded radio doesn't quite have the same ring. So I think our second involuntary sponsor of today's episode is uh, Professor Dr. Alan Dow and the incomparable Lucy Taylor, who joined us for a phone call. Yeah, it was a live phone call. It was a live phone call with maybe some stills. So, so look, for those people who apply for a job with us, I think this is a good tell. Like if, if you are if you fall in this category, if you don't fall in this category, don't bother applying to the Envoy portfolio companies. Is there is no limit to how much I self-flagellated yesterday. There is nothing. There is there is no amount of pain that somebody else could put me through other than the thought that I wasted everybody's time. We lost good content. And I now have a new understanding when they when they talk about like the lost tapes of the Beatles. Yeah, that's not like oh hey it's the lost tapes. It's the lost fucking tapes <laughs> of that. Yeah, and I'm not putting just to be clear. I'm not putting us up there with Lennon and McCartney. Um, but I don't know. Here, I, I'll, I'm just gonna say this on recorded radio to take some heat off of you. The Beatles are not my favorite. So, you know, maybe you can compare us to Lennon and McCartney, and I wouldn't be offended. My dad's whole assessment of, he, you know. They were fine. The argument is there are two types of people in the world, those people who believe there are two types of people in the world and those who don't. But the other argument that my father always makes is. You're those either, who think the Beatles are great and those who are. Well, it's Stones, right. or, Stones or Beatles, and you only mix with one category, and he certainly wasn't of the floppy head Liverpudlian. Yeah, let's go with the Stones, All right, baby. we've now upset a lot of people. Yeah, we have. We have. Nobody wins here. What are we talking about? Um, yeah, let's let's go to um, let's go to math, Maths. math, maths. It's mathematics. 
Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, Pythagorean theorem. Do you remember that equation? I don't. You have daughters in school. Yeah, Somebody has learned They're the Pythagorean. They've, they've done great. Yeah. Um, a squared plus B squared equals C squared is the Pythagorean theorem. Mm -hmm. um, it is a theorem because it has not been proved in something like 2,000 years, um, except for these two U.S. teens. They are um, 17 apiece in New Orleans have uh, allegedly, apparently, proven the Pythagorean theorem, which is just, it's, it's a big thing for a geometric equation that has not been has not had a proof, um, but these are two New Orleans high school seniors. Kalsia Johnson and Nakia Jackson. Yeah. Both 17. Yeah. They use trig without economy. using circular logic uh -huh. to prove the theorem. Yeah, which is really cool, and that's, that's probably awesome. the extent of um, my geometry recollection. Uh, but yeah, we can now prove that we can prove a right triangle with the Pythagorean theorem, and that's pretty cool. It's Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll leave it at that. Hey, That's what I think. Maths. Uh, the two of you, if you're listening, drop us a note. Yeah. We have uh, we have a fair number of em employers that would like to hire you today. Absolutely. So, Kelsia, Nakia, just uh, Google, Google Ace Colwood and you'll find us 10,000 fans. Get a message through to him. Oh, God. And there's a job waiting for you. No. Don't, I mean, do, but not because of how he positioned it. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's awesome, and we're we're doing math again. It's it's singular. It's not plural, by the way. It's not maths. Yeah, All it's right. not even pushing back on that. Artificial intelligence. So there is a move to do a big pause, and we really are in prisoner's dilemma with this. Aren't we? Yeah, can you, we are. Do you, can you explain prisoner's dilemma? All right. So prisoner's dilemma is a... Actually, it might be helpful to talk about the open letter, letter first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the open letter is from top AI researchers uh, that is asking for a pause on major experiments around AI. Beyond GBT4. Is, yeah. 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 So just like, hey, we have... And look, we're doing a little bit of background work on this around the absence of ethics around some of these emerging technologies. So yeah. we're, we're a little deeper into this than, than just reading the article. But essentially, we're asking for a pause on development until we better understand the implications and the ethics and morality around this and yeah. standards. Of course, this is when Prisoner's Dilemma kicks in because if you're an AI researcher, this only works if everybody does it. So the background's Prisoner's Dilemma, and there's lots of versions of it, but it's the scenario where you have two criminals they have been arrested. They've been. They have um, declared their innocence, mm -hmm. and they're in uh, se separated cells. And mm -hmm. what the cops are doing this. This happens often. The, the yeah. detectives are saying, "Hey, if you squeal, you'll get a much lighter sentence than the other guy. Throw throw him or her under the bus." Mm -hmm. And if you run through the sort of the the economic scenario, um, everybody wins if everybody stays silent. Mm -hmm. But you do. Uh, your safety is to squeal because. Yeah. At worst, you average out the punishment rather than being the one that carries the full punishment. Well, this kicks in around AI experimentation. If everybody pauses, it works great. But if anybody cheats in the system, um, you're off and running. And you get to be the person whose name is on it. And I, I we, we know some of these people. We yeah. know some of these character types. They are not driven. You, you're not going into AI research because... AI researchers, for me, are the equivalent of ER docs, mm. right? Everything mm. is a math equation. It's the adrenaline run. Are ER doctors really driven by saving lives? Yes, they are. But there's something else going on in there. And I think, you know, if you're the person whose name could be in the encyclopedia for having broken that gap, 
and you're worried about somebody on the other side. And actually, in today's knowledge, that newsletter mm-hmm. that I love, mm-hmm. there was a quote from the the maybe this is a good parallel. The um, inventor of the cellular telephone, the mobile phone, yeah. uh, passed away this week. Really? And apparently the thing that he did when he developed the first mobile phone was to call his direct rival at, Mo- at Bell Labs. <laughs> so he was at Motorola and give him a call and say, I'm calling from a mobile phone. To which apparently the guy at Bell Labs just didn't say anything. <laughs> so there wasn't a first conversation by mobile phone. But that rivalry that was yeah. happening then among scientists... It's happening now in AI, and everybody wants to be, you know, the Isaac Newton of gravity, you know, the, the Isaac Newton of their field. Isaac Newton is the Isaac Newton of gravity, <laughs> but they want to be the Isaac Newton of their field. I they want to be the Einstein it. of their field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, I, especially if you layer the tech community on top of AI research, right? The economics of being first to market here. We saw SVB as a prime example of how yeah. perhaps we don't collaborate particularly well in that sector. And the economic drivers are more important than ethical or social responsibility. Well, I'm surprised you haven't been quoted more. You are somebody that works in um, understanding communities, communi- communicating across boundaries, across mm-hmm. communities. You spend a lot of time working on that. You also have a deep tech background, and you were, on, you were on recorded radio a couple of weeks ago saying, well, I think what we've discovered through the Silicon Valley Bank run is that there isn't a tech community. There just isn't one, yeah. in, in the sense of how you'd measure it. One last point on this AI is, oh, Elon Musk signed the letter. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Oh, the guy Can we over him yet? Oh God, I've been over him for years. <laughs> okay. Like so, sure, Elon Musk, the guy known for self-restraint, signing mm-hmm. the letter for restraint. So whoever drafted it should have not mentioned it. The guy who removed New York Times verification on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah let's just guy. talk about that. So the so the first verification that has been removed because they haven't paid the six dollar fee for the blue tick mark. Yep. Was the New York Times? That's not a grudge at all. There's no. nothing going on there. That one of the people who's responsible for the destruction of journalism of the fourth estate. So, right. Yeah, it's great. Uh, let's stay on tech for a second because yeah. I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. Um, so we, we talk about the diffusion of innovation curve yep. pretty regularly and kind of the how one gleans intelligence rather than just data from how people make decisions. Um, I want to I wanna know where you fit on the diffusion curve. Are you an early adopter? Right, there are five stages. No, I'm a fastish follower. Okay. Fastish. All I'm right. at the front end of the follower. Fa- fast adjacent. Yeah. I um well you taught me a bit of this. I never download the software update in the first week. Oh yeah, it never uh, works. I let every week. other Muppet <laughs> go through the pain of that. And then once we've ironed that out. And I do I do that with tech too. And I tend yeah. to buy the second oldest iPhone. Mm. So or I'll buy the iPhone the newest one right before we know there's a new release coming. Yeah. So because robustness is more important to me than it has the newest newfangled thing. I mean, I want something that's up to date, yeah. but it's got to work. Like, I mean, yesterday, man, the 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 goal of our media company is that you walk in and you just go. Yeah. And there was a deep flaw in the process, which was my index finger. <laughs> like the robustness failed. Um, but but yeah no so I'm I'm not a, I'm not a first mover I find oh, what are you before I pass comment on no, <laughs> each it, of these it, phases it, what it, are the five it's uh, first um, mover early, no it's early, actually early um, innovator so early oh, adopt one of the five stages of technology yeah. of adoption um, innovator early majority late majority laggards um, yeah innovator 
early adopter, early majority, late majority laggards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those. So it sounds like you're maybe early or late majority. Um, oh, is that what, oh, yeah, that would put so you. you know, so innovator would be the one who makes put it me in a majority category. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, you don't like that, do you? No, no innovator would be the one who do brings the technology yeah. to bear. Um, that trailblazer, first mover, um, early adopter would be the hey, I'm probably testing or in that beta alpha or beta class of users early majority would probably be where you are it's like hey all right yeah. i'm not going to get the update as soon as it goes out and test it for apple or whatever uh, operating system that you use but i'll be inclined to use the more cutting edge piece of technology the late majority would be okay everybody's kind of adopted this thing i'm going to get on it and then the laggard is like just getting their first smartphone right so now. I love that we teach this, and we yeah. should keep teaching. Yeah. It's like from the 1960s, I think, the diffusion of innovation curve. Mm -hmm. It's still relevant. But 62. I, I do think the lens on what is innovation is changing, and it affects because we tend to think of products. When you asked me that question, I immediately went to, hey, which products do I use? But the very reason that I'm not at the forefront of that mm -hmm. is because of time starvation. Tell me more. So... Well, let's pull out my phone. Let's just describe describe <laughs> this, my phone. This mangled piece yeah, of my, yeah. what is maybe going to pass as technology an OtterBox. You're not getting a good look here. But it's a smashed. It's a smashed iPhone cover. It's a smashed window. Well, not the window, but the protector. There really isn't much protection there. So you still I've, have curvy edges on your phone. That's how I know it's old. Oh, is, do they not yeah, do that? No, my so hair. so I've planned to replace this. Yeah, for the past year or so. You have, yeah, and I. I just don't have time. Hmm. And, well, I do have, no, I do have you time. You sound insufferable I have, when you say I that. Have I time. think you're right. I am prioritizing yeah. correctly. Yeah, it yeah. is, I know there are people listening to this, this non-podcast who are like, hey, you haven't replied to my email yet mm -hmm. asking to grab a cup of coffee. And it's not, I don't do things in order. We, for our work, we have sure. to prioritize all the time. Yeah. And the, the phone, the new product just isn't getting to the top. Mm -hmm. Like there are cars that I'd love to buy, mm -hmm. I, whether I could afford them or not. There's no way I'd do it, even if I had the money. I, it's it's just it doesn't hit that top of the time. And I th I think with some of this new product innovation, a key part now has to be if you're trying to get into. I'm going to use this phrase, and I'm going to take shit for this as well but if you're trying to get into the elites and look we get given free stuff all the time we're sort of in that we're in the bottom end of that category of people who are given stuff to try out and talk sure, about yeah is we will take we're, more we're the bottom dwellers of the <laughs> top whatever that is God, i don't so like how you're describing us the right um but this happens to you right yeah, mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay so is what what is the onboarding of the product? Like, and I'm not sure you see innovation teams because they're all focused on like whatever it is, what is this product or service and what are the merits of it? But the assumption is when you're doing consumer testing that it's easy to get into it. Yeah. And I, I just wonder if you don't start removing some product functionality. Also, I would, I would, I would disagree that good innovation teams do think about this. The, the term is switching cost. Um, and, and it is generally the... Uh, is there a theory about this? The about cost a consumer Owen pays. Yeah, it's uh, Torstein von, von Blugenstein on this one. Uh, switching costs. The cost a consumer pays as a result of switching brands or products. And so you upgrading from iPhone, I don't know, 3 is what it looks like, to uh, the 14 Pro that I have in my hand. Um, 
Yeah, that, because switching costs can be monetary, psychological, effort-based, or time-based. And so if I have to go in to exchange the thing and talk to the person at the counter at AT&T and get a new SIM, all of the things that go into that, even the hour it takes to set one phone next to the other and have it transfer data, do you have that hour to take or would that hour be better spent, right? It's an opportunity cost and a switching cost equation kind of at the same time. And uh, look, this is where we live. The the behavioral, cannot, you have not switched your phone because it takes too much. It costs too much. Even if that's an hour riding bikes with your daughter, Dylan. I, I, I'm not yeah. surprised at that. No, it's it's that. It, well, we talk about this a lot. It's the opportunity cost of, of doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But that, I, I do wonder if there isn't, and I, it, this, you're right, this does go into product development, but I wonder if there's a, a friction um, like scale. Maybe we should come up with this, like a, a product friction scale. Checking accounts or current accounts, as we call them in Europe, yeah. are, are very, um, they have a lot of friction. It's a royal pain to move your checking account, mm -hmm. which is why, like, just horrible, lousy banks like Wells Fargo still exist. When I built Painless 1099, that's where we got killed. Yeah. It was We built a bank for independent contractors to automate tax withholding and benefits, and it was brilliant once we got people in an account, but getting them through KYC AML, all of the friction of opening a new bank account, if I were to build it again, I'd forego the bank account and I'd build a layer of infrastructure on top of but their then, ecosystem. So, But that would seem like clever product development, but maybe it, it ultimately results in your death because your employees become so passive, mm -hmm. knowing that the competitive edge isn't there. Like I think about, I, we, the number of projects we do now mm -hmm. where the contract is done after the end of the project. Yeah. But, but all of our, all of our clients are massive. They, there's not a single one that we would like sue over a contract. Um, <laughs> is so the massive contracts are kind of yeah, meaningless, okay, right? But but all of our team know that we could lose that business tomorrow. Yeah. So there's an embedded ferocity, other than recording podcasts, obviously, uh, that is is there. Now, if you knew it was really difficult for your clients to move on. Mm -hmm then I think that hunger just goes. So it seems like a smart design in the short term, but I'm not sure it is. Yeah, that, we could probably spend an hour here, but we're not going All to right. because while we're talking about Apple, I want to give our um, pointless plug of the week, yep. which is the very specifically the Apple iPad Pro that I have sitting in front of me right now. We are now, doing a product and plug for a trillion dollar company. Yeah, but let me tell you why. All right. Um, I ran it over with a 5,000-pound vehicle yesterday. <laughs> so you didn't know that until just now. Um, and you're now looking at the crack in my case. Oh, yeah. Um, but that is the extent of the damage That's as insane. Juicebox rolled over this iPad. Scott now has you the iPad in his hand. I drove. So, yeah, I left for a meeting yesterday. And I was running up the street, and I hopped in the truck, and I had some stuff in the back. And I was like, I don't want to look like Beverly Hillbillies with a bunch of stuff in the bed. So I pulled it out, and I set my iPad down on the side of the bed and then drove off without it. And I got out of our parking lot and realized, and I was like, shit. And so I backed up to go get it. And as I backed up, I looked down, and it was in the street with a tire tread over the middle of it. And it is functioning in front of me for this episode right now. So shout out to Apple right. and the iPad Pro. Look, I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Great. But it is. It is. There's our pointless plug of the week. Um, love. But seriously, for the work that we do, you mentioned prioritization and triage is a word we throw around often making decisions based on the potential crises we end up in. I, look, I can't open a 16-inch MacBook 
on a flight to work. Uh, if a set goes down while we're facilitating virtually, we've got 5G on these things and can spool them up and like keep the thing running. Um, maybe one of the better purchases. So there's your lesson of product design yeah. because you would like iPads are stupid. They're yeah. like they're not a computer and they're not a phone. But when you put a keyboard on them and they're always connected and you can open them quickly, I also think we don't study enough in this space. How did this become an innovation? I don't know. But we don't study enough um, social friction as well as friction yeah. is that you can pull this thing out in a meeting mm -hmm. and it looks like you're taking notes. If you pull out your MacBook, it looks like looks you're working like you on something else. Or, and I have yeah. no idea why that's the case. Nope. But if you pull out your MacBook, it's rude. If you pull out your iPad, it's not. And they're the same thing. Well, can I, the last thing I'll say on this. Everybody's in, bored. In defense of Apple, is, I think Steve Jobs is a raging asshole and uh, I pan him pretty regularly. So this is not uh, an Apple plug. This is a very functional device that happens to have been designed by Apple Plus, right. to be clear. Okay, right. we're going to come on to a serious thing. Let's and um, I'm just going to say this up front. This is always my policy. I will not debate this issue on social media, but I will debate anybody recorded and published unedited on this subject. So I'm just putting oh, this disclaimer out. Okay. Now I have to fight you. Uh, shootings in schools. Here's uh, my new language. Okay. This is the new language that I want to take. That I'm proud to live in the United States that is almost the most powerful country in the world. Mm. I'm gonna use this in speeches, I'm gonna use this in messages, I'm gonna use this, that the United States is almost the most powerful country in the world and it will only be the most powerful country in the world when it can um, prevent uh, the things that are happening in, it can prevent elementary school, elementary aged children going to schools in fear for their lives. This cannot be the greatest nation on earth. It just cannot. Now, before we get to this point, I'm going to keep saying this because it's going to drive Americans insane. Mm. And the reason I'm going to keep saying it is because what we've got to move away from is that there is this idea that there is one solution to this. So in just as, as all of my sort of slightly more right-leaning Republican friends dive into this, I'm a gun owner. My liberal friends would be amazed at how adept I am at using this thing. Um, there are a hundred solutions. And I'm not advocating that we ban guns. Banning guns in the United States and Europeans don't understand this would be like banning cafes in Paris or pubs in England. And, it, and people say that's ridiculous, but it's actually not. It really isn't. Just like Americans don't really understand why British people drink so much mm. um, or why French people are so French then they, we don't understand how much this culture is embedded in the mainstream of the United States. This is not some lunatic wing. This is not. Guns are here. They are not going away. But the idea that we can't do anything about it, which is what we're seeing, and this is the most terrifying thing because people will be already bored that I'm talking about this today, and it's less than a week ago that the last shooting happened in an elementary school, is that... There are a hundred things we can do. Yeah. And every time we say there's nothing we can do because the the left is all about uh, banning things, and I get that, but that's uh, we've got to start saying this is one of a hundred things that we could do. Mm. It's one of a hundred things that we could do. And if people want to talk about a hundred things, I'm happy to talk about it. I can come up with a list of at least 50 that would not infringe. My last point on this, for anybody who's really like, what do you mean we're not the most powerful country in the world? Because... If this is the well-regulated militia, George Washington would be fucking appalled. If this is a military unit, if this was, I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe in the Constitution. It is the Second Amendment. I also believe in the full version of the Second Amendment. And if this is it, 
God. Like, you, you want the full thing. Wow. We can't edit the thing. We can't yeah. just pick pieces of it. Like, yeah. I have a right to a gun, right. but not. Yeah. Um, I'm going to offer, I wouldn't call it a counterpoint. I would say we're not, I don't even know that we aspire to be the most powerful country in the world. Oh, like, no. the The power <laughs> is predicated on having the biggest guns. That's it. We're not the most free. We're not the best educated. We're not the smartest, the fittest. We're not anything, but we have the biggest guns. And if we're having the well, gun debate around power, but like, that's what it, I'm saying. Because, be because I'm I'm not saying that America is the greatest country in the world. Because it, it all depends on what you measure. And if it's about look, if 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 we're measuring entrepreneurship, I think America is the greatest country in the world. If we're measuring, frankly, if we're measuring getting involved in global conflicts that you don't need to get involved in and you just hide away from. Actually, America's got a pretty good track record on that, and I don't think other countries really appreciate it. But um, but haven't we lost all of I the last couple conflicts? No, no, not broadly. Like, yeah. but, I, but I think, like, because you can go down that discussion, but the thing that America is very confident is that it is the most powerful, even as a rising China, rising India. But what I'm saying is, if you have a social fissure Mm-hmm. that is in your domestic. And we're now seeing this weaponized, right? We're, we're seeing both the Russians and the Chinese and the North Koreans use weaponized social media to continue this fissure yeah. that leads a country that simultaneously is talking about going to Mars and can get these damn phones to do whatever we want with them. But we think we can't solve this problem. I'm sorry, America, you think we can't make children safe in schools. This is just the most ridiculous notion. We are choosing not to do it. Whenever America chooses to do anything else, it succeeds in it, and this is one of choice. And I think it's, I think it's embarrassing. I think we have uh, oh. yes, yes. <laughs> ICE is showing up at the door now. I'm about to be <laughs> deported. No, the core argument about keeping children safe in schools, no qualms there. I think you've got perhaps uh, some foreign rose-colored glasses on a country. Uh, look, military brat, gun owner, worked for the army. I love the place that I live. I'm a little more jaded than I think you are on whether we actually want to do the work to to get to the place that you're suggesting we have multiple options to get to. I'm not sure we've actually wanted to do that hard work since the last actual war we won, which was World War II. Like we haven't we haven't gotten a like clean W on anything since then. We had an economic boon after that. And we've just kind of coasted. I'm not sure we want to put in the work to do the thing that we absolutely have to do to protect our children. And that is what is heartbreaking to me. Are we the best at innovation? No, not really. These iPhones are made in China, man. It's like we, we designed them here. We came up with the idea. Can we execute on that? Um, I, that's actually where my, my question is. Um, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated for a place I love dearly. Um, and we do have to solve this problem. It's going to take something different than what we got right now, um, and I'm I'm not positive what that is. Hey, that knock at the door is uh, Department of Homeland Security, but they come for you, not me. <laughs> come take me, man. I did my nickel. <laughs> All right, uh, where are we going next? I hope you have the list. Up well, talking about talking about America. So, Richard Branson and Virgin Orbit. It looks like Virgin Orbit, which is Richard Branson's sort of like space launch company. Mm-hmm. Is, is it even Richard Branson's? But it's called Virgin Orbit. Is probably going bust. Really? And I just, I do think so. I'm going to make the case for America again. Um, Here we go. I, I do that trick where I pound something and then make you feel better <laughs> about it. Uh, the, is that there is just this sort of scale that I, that I wonder if some of, some of the smaller countries aren't sort of embodied by, 
by sort of Sir Richard Branson's approach to things, which is like we we're not we're just not doing the full investment in mm. um, scale, and like we are starting to face this world now where there are three big beasts: there is the United States, China, and India. Yeah, the BRIC thing hasn't really worked out in the sense of Brazil hasn't become the thing that people thought it would be, and Russia as a result of this war, is, is becoming economically irrelevant. Um, but where everything from economic theory to investment to investment in tech, if you, and this applies to AI, I think this applies to bioengineering, I think this is where we're going to have to, either the European Union really, really tightens up its integration to mm -hmm. become the ability to invest, but watching what, whether you agree with it or not, watching what is happening to renewable energy as a result of what is essentially sort of... Um, uh, uh, protectionist policy within the United States, but just yeah. the scale of that investment, we're now seeing the n needle really move. We're going to see the same probably in artificial intelligence, probably in bioengineering, and a couple of other fields. And it's going to be determined by those three national powers. And I wonder if, I mean, the Security Council's been out of date for decades. Is the G7 going to matter significantly anymore? Um, just thinking about thinking about that scale and how we view the world and how important is it that you know how important is GDP versus this is what I'm trying to say how mm -hmm. is it how important is GDP where you know Italy and and France and the UK Canada would would be relevant but it's not very forward looking versus I almost feel we we need a criteria of the ability to direct investment at mass scale to be able to move these things on. And maybe Germany's up there, but I, I'm not convinced that yeah. France and UK's. No, I'd, I'd agree. I would, I'll take maybe a slightly different tact on um, Virgin Orbit. I, I think that could be celebrated. Look, I, I haven't gotten into the financials, maybe financial mismanagement. I'm filing for bankruptcy, and I think the number is somewhere between 100 million and 500 million. That is a massive delta between the two numbers that's being reported right now. Um, oh, they filed just a few hours ago. Yeah. This oh, is uh, like, yeah, yeah. Like, new, you're on the look at you. I being put this on a couple weeks ago. Adopter. Look, look at, at that. you. Way ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, they filed for bankruptcy this morning. Um, I, I love it. You know, I, it's a quite literal moonshot. <laughs> and he's taken it. And he failed. The he, they, the organization. Right? Richard Branson gets his name put on it. But I think that's part of the problem is we've got this kind of cult of personality. And we shoot for the moon or the stars or Mars. Like all of the cliches actually happening now as billionaires are in the space race. But the idea of I tried a big thing. It's not working in the way we need it to. I'm going to shutter the thing. Right? Otherwise, you get these zombie companies that just limp along and look like they might kind of sort of be working. Then we've got to put up. No, it's like, let's try it. If it fails, pull the plug, move on to the next thing. I actually like how quickly this is. So happened. do you think somebody will steal this idea? So, so the concept of it is yeah. that you launch the rocket from the air. Mm -hmm. So they took a couple of old Virgin Atlantic 747s and then they sling, they sling the rocket under that. The aircraft takes off. Yeah. Well, I guess it's not that it's, different it's from what NASA we're doing building in space. With building on the moon. If you launch from the moon, the gravity is different. It requires less thrust, less energy, less fuel as a, a result. And you can get this thing up. And look, I'm not a rocket scientist, but we do get to work with them. And the, conceptually, it, it's interesting, right? Uh, but what I, what's really exciting to me, 85% of companies fail. I got in trouble once. I said, if you've started a company, you're either ignorant or arrogant. And I got panned for it. 
you're ignorant if you don't know the odds stacked against you and you start a company. You haven't done your due diligence. The internet is at your fingertips. If you've started a thing and have no idea the failure rate, you're that's ridiculous. Or you're arrogant. You think you're better than 85% of people who start a thing. But what we have to cop to to reconcile is the odds are stacked against us starting a thing, trying something new, being an innovator and pushing the envelope. And if we get to a place where it's not working, it's actually in our best interest, back to opportunity cost, to shut it down and move to a thing where our our time and effort. Tommy Nicholas, a really good friend of mine, built a, our, one of our first companies together, um, has a line that I love. He says, the goal is not avoiding failure. The goal ought to be not wasting your life. Like That ought to be the, the core opportunity cost equation. Move along from the thing that's not working if you know that it's not going to head in that direction and move on to the next thing. And instead, I see a bunch of folks who are like, but the American dream is to jam this thing through and try despite all costs and like make it work. And I'd rather see more folks okay with failing to get into the thing where they can be successful and add value to the world. And I appreciate this is perhaps an example of that. That wise quote was from Tommy Nicholas, New York Tommy Nicholas, New York, Alloy Tommy Nicholas. Alloy Tommy. Tommy Nicholas, who was the first person to laugh when I posted that we'd not survive. So yeah. Screw that guy. Yeah, that. Yeah, right. yeah, fair enough. Shout out to Nice quote, though. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do a couple more things and then let people get on with their days. There we go. Oh, I was going to go to Richard Branson in Virgin Orbit. <laughs> We just we just did that. We're we're, we're rummaging through these things uh, to to skip the rants, aren't we? Because we've ranted enough. We have we, we we've have ranted, ranted enough. Quite um, a bit. Hey, can we talk about uh, the half of workers have a side gig? What's that all about? Uh, half of workers have a side gig. That's that's it. <laughs> no, it it it's it actually back to kind of the slash generation. Yeah, right. Like cobbling together careers. Um, I was reading this piece and and basically some 40, almost 50% of workers are doing something on the side. And I I find that fascinating as we've built a firm almost entirely full of people who have a thing on the side. I love that. There's a part of it, which is what we were talking about earlier. It's um, the, you have to commit to being here every day because you could go do something else and you know what that is and you've got the LLC, et cetera. I think all but one person in this firm has an LLC mm. where they do another thing. Um, and and like I think that's interesting. It requires us to make this a place where people want to be, not have to be. Uh, similarly, though, there's part the economic piece of I need to earn more money and so I've got a side gig, uh, but also this idea of, look, I'm going to take whatever job or career I can get and fulfill my passions elsewhere. And so it's a blend of the two. Economic How much realities. of it is, it, that's interesting. How yeah. much of it is making more money versus hedging that I don't, I don't have to be all in on this thing? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think but, that's interesting yeah. sociologically. Actually, I also think it's funny that the founder of this company is the only person who doesn't have an LLC <laughs> for a website. Like the quote entrepreneur is the one who isn't entrepreneurial. Well, that doesn't surprise anybody, I guess. No, but no, not. I mean, I think this is the LLC. There is this sort of psychological, uh, there's the financial of I'm, I'm making additional money, but I do think there's that psychological hedge that I, I don't have to be nice to those two people. Um, I have another path. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, I noticed this. When we are hiring people from non-traditional backgrounds, mm. right, where they have built their career from hustle, creativity, entrepreneurship, is you got to be very careful not to require them to close that down, yeah. because 
for their peers, right, the person who went to the Ivy League school, mm -hmm. they don't lose that qualification mm -hmm. if they lose their job. But yeah. the equivalent that gets you in the room, which is all of that entrepreneurship and hustle, yeah. like that does go if you require it to be lost. And so I think it's just a, another example of where the, the, um, the, the game isn't fair. No, it, it's, it's not. And then you layer in economic realities for folks who may or may not have a safety net, a uh, vehicle by which, you know, if I failed at my last business, I could have moved home with my mom. You know, like I've, I have that privilege that's very real. Not everybody does, particularly first-generation college students who become business owners who are sending money back to the family. Like those economic realities are very different. And so I, I, I see a blend of chip on shoulder, this is my thing, you can't take it from me, but hey, this is actually a functioning piece of my income. Irrespective of how much you pay me, I will always have things that I need to do to get out of a hole, to keep my people out of a hole, or just to feel more comfortable and safe as a, a function of the work that I do and the value I provide. Um, so I'm not surprised to see these numbers. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, speaking of quality of life, Hormel, the uh, I believe the chili company, yeah, has spent uh, a number of millions of dollars five building a daycare for their employees' kids. Five million dollars. That's so. What what does Hormel make? I thought it's one of those chili. companies I've heard of. Chili, chili, yeah, like as in like canned chili. Hormel, canned chili. All right. Yeah, and they're doing childcare for the kids. They are. I think. This, you know, we talk about scanning, scanning horizons to look at underlying trends. And what have we identified? We think privacy is one. Privacy is a big privacy one. is yeah, huge. Yeah. The privacy is going to cut across everything, and um, the intersection of AI and robotics. So we years ago, you know, we were seeing Hilton hotels try out um, robots in hotels, and it all looked ridiculous. It was like those little Japanese things. And suddenly you know, being possible. And actually, the last time uh, I was in Hawaii, the hotel workers were striking, not over pay and benefits, but they wanted to outlaw robots being used in hotels. Really? Like, it was a full all-out, actually fairly intense strike that was all about, I'm not sure where it ended up. Anyway. Um, it's like some of the textile strikes uh, about a century ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. But the other, sort of this trend around childcare is... I feel like we're finally catching up to this thing that what we did in the 19, well, first of all, what we did in the 1950s is that Madison Avenue invented the nuclear family, which had never existed prior to this. We had always lived in, in essentially tribes. Um, mm. Actually, if we'd recorded yesterday, Lucy talks Lucy about this. Lucy did talk about this, but, yeah. but we always lived in tribes, and then Madison Avenue comes along with this methodology for selling washing machines and laundry deter detergent and all those. Um, remember, soap opera comes mm -hmm. from, it was sponsored by by the soap companies, by the laundry detergent companies. That's why it's called that. It was the, it was the show that was sponsored by, I don't know. I was today years old when I learned oh, yeah, that That's thing. why it's called wow. soap opera. All right. So all of this was, and then of course those soap operas represented nuclear families, mm -hmm. which again had never existed sort of pre-World pre, pre -World yeah. War II. So, they, you, World War II so we create the nuclear family and yeah. then we push through, uh, rightly, very rightly, we push through rights of women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. What we never did was to recalibrate childcare. So we ne we didn't do what the what the Nordic countries did, which is to provide some kind of structural societal ch childcare facility. I think this explains the rapid rise in home prices over that generation because you suddenly had two income earners that were coming in and living in the same house. So you essentially increase 
um, money supply around the domestic household. Yeah. But childcare hasn't been resolved, which traditionally was put, still remains on the woman, still does today. I, I grate at some of these things that are posted because I, I don't feel that's the world that I live in. But, but that aside, the numbers show very clearly that women are carrying it. But this movement, if you really wanted to make a difference today to the mental health of families, and, and if, you're, if you're a believer in marriage and you, you believe in families holding together, you would address this, this childcare thing head on. Now, if you can buy it at a, quote, discounted rate because Hormel La Chile Company can build infrastructure that provides for, for childcare versus paying for it yourself, which is like the cost of childcare is crippling in most cities. Yeah. Um, then I think this becomes a real competitive advantage. And talk about stickiness for employees. If you're able to go to work and your, your child is having an amazing experience, um, are you, are you going to leave that job so quickly? No. No. I mean, how quickly are you willing to change your, your child's kindergarten or school? So, it's, you know, uh, there are a couple companies doing this. But at, back, back, when I, back in the day when I was a yeah. young warthog, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I I went to kindergarten at Coast Guard headquarters. Yeah. So the US Coast Guard had headquarter childcare downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not if if my dad is listening. Hey, let's revive the segment of people definitely not listening John Boy recorder radio. Austin Austin senior is not listening to this. So I can say that Austin senior did leave me at daycare once. I think he had a bad day at work and forgot that I was there too. He had to come back. Um but yeah, no. So Tyson Foods Hey, is, when he when he just pushed you out into the bay on a little dinghy and came back for you eight hours later and told you that was daycare, just mate, you should probably just talk that through with the therapist. I was learning how to be a Coast Guard. Austin Senior knew what he was doing. Uh, so there are a couple companies doing this. Marriott International has childcare built in. Yeah. It's one of their biggest retention tools, uh, according to the Talking Heads of Marriott. Uh, Tyson Foods also has built uh, some some child care in. And then, of course, Hormel. And so like a small number of companies taking some, putting some real investment into how do we get folks to join their workforce? And look, every room, every board meeting we've been in, there has been some conversation about workforce, talent attraction, retention. Um, it seems like this is a, a good place to start thinking about it, even if that's subsidizing some of the costs of childcare iris- rather than building childcare into the experience. Uh, there, there are probably multiple ways to drive that benefit home for employees. And I think that'd be a probably worthwhile exploration across the corporate world. I dig it. All right. Okay, so this is going to be the primer for the next show. No, it's going to be the primer for the re-recorded show with Alan and Lucy. The next last show. Because yeah, I, yeah, okay. I I feel like this is time limited. I'm just going to put on record that I spent the weekend in real America. And oh. um, it was a reminder to me of the, the um, I talked about Le Bobo. <laughs> Le, Le Bobo. Bobo bubble. So for those of you who don't know, Le Bobo is a French slang term that is short for um, bohemian bourgeois. No, bourgeois bohemian, which essentially says you, you act like you're a... You're a man or woman of the people, but you really like fine cheeses and good champagne. I would very much put myself in this category. I don't know and why it's spring break exclusive. this week for my two, the younger two of my kids, and we went to Virginia Beach over the weekend. And I, I lived in real America, and we actually watched TV in the hotel room, which my kids don't have access to regular TV, and so they saw commercials for the first time in probably ten years. And I saw commercials for the first time in ten years. You were a ten for the first time in ten years. Oh, I was I was gorgeous at the beach I'm this sorry, weekend. That, that, that is mean. the mean. <laughs> so, um, but oh my god, yeah, like it was it just 
America is dying. If you believe TV, America is dying because the amount of pharmaceuticals that are in, um, yeah, combined with it would it would like go from Burger King advert for. I, j I joke not. The commercials were for chicken fries, which is instead of a box of fries, it's like stripped chicken. Yeah. And then it They're would be for some by the way. <laughs> diabetes drug. I mean, I know we're going. I know we're going to talk about more about the, yeah. the role of Zempic and and those in future editions. But just um, if anybody doesn't believe that the U.S. economy, back to the rules of the U.S. economy, don't apply to others, that this is a consumer-spending-driven economy. Mm. Like, just watch regular TV and watch that cycle of uh, purchasing things to damage yourself and then purchasing things to fix the damage that you've done to yourself. And it's just amazing. And this is not a criticism of the people who are watching this or participating in this 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 cycle. I mean, we are just surrounded by it, surrounded Inundated, by yeah. This, yeah. this loop. And I don't know how we break out of it. I really don't. Other than like wrapping yourself in an equally annoying like Bobo life. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's back in part to the prisoner's dilemma. You know, who's going to be the first to stop and take the economic hit to stop doing damage to the general public? And I, I don't know that until we sort the corporate increasing shareholder value as the north star or def how we define value might be interesting increasing shareholder value might be keeping people alive longer improving their health and we might think differently about advertising the messaging we put in front of folks and what we try to get them to buy i don't have an answer for it i think we might think differently about responsibility when it comes to selling people shit um often shit that we don't need that's it's a problem all right so we're going to finish here yeah, was if fine. anybody doubts when they see my children and they see these little shiny American accented kids, <laughs> if anybody doubts their bloodline from Teesside in the north of England, it's when the Atlantic Ocean was icy cold. <laughs> the wind is howling across the beach. It was terrible weather. You were in, weren't you? It was deserted. They were straight in. Oh, straight yeah. Straight in. Yeah. I love it. I love it. God bless him. God bless him. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was this week's recorded. Radio. See you next time.